Hi, I'm Sutton Blackhill. Please help us with this investigation by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you, and here's Wally. Forty years ago, 12 people died in the backyard of the death house on Elm Street. And three days later, they disappeared. I'm Wally Fitch, and tonight, you and I explore the events of the Holy Week incident and why it's important to our investigation. We're hunting for a book written by a demon, and you're coming with us. This is the Walk in Darkness podcast. Hey, hey, I'm glad to have you with me again this week. We've got a full show, so let's dive right in. Now, if you missed it, I was lucky enough to meet with Jules St. Vincent, the reporter who covered the 12 deaths during the Holy Week incident at the Death House, or as they called it, the old Harrington House. Now, I came away from that meeting with a shoebox full of police reports, photographs, and audio recordings of both news reports and police radio traffic. So what I kind of want to do tonight is to use these news reports to walk us through the events of the week and in between share some insights from Jewel as well as a few things that I picked up along the way. Ready? As we reported yesterday, a hundred-year-old fig tree has mysteriously appeared in the backyard of the old Harrington house. As you may recall, the house has had a grim and horrific history and is currently vacant. WVVX News Radio now learns that a man claiming to be a priest sent by God has a warning that a betrayer to the Lord is close and is here to bring death to all. Police are on the scene and tell WVVX that they are keeping a close eye on the situation. The fig tree, which is bearing fruit, appeared on the same day most religious scholars agree is the day Jesus cursed a fig tree for not having fruit. And many in the neighborhood are calling this a miracle and signals the second coming of Christ. WVVX will... All right, so let's get into a few facts about fig trees. First, they cannot grow in Idaho. And even if they did, it takes them about two years to become mature enough to bear fruit. It also needs to be pollinated by a fig wasp, which aren't typically found in Idaho because it's so freaking cold. So basically this means that a hundred year old fig tree popping up in the backyard of a house here in Idaho is highly suspect. Passengers to the hospital where they were treated and released. And now to the bizarre event unfolding in one historic Idaho Falls neighborhood. Thousands have descended to hear the words from a priest claiming to be sent directly from God to warn everyone's soul is in mortal danger. WVVX News has just now learned that Bishop O'Leary of the Holy Rosary Church is meeting with law enforcement and city officials right now. Bishop O'Leary believes this site is of utmost biblical importance for the church and that the man claiming to be a priest does not represent the church. They believe the man to be ill and would like him taken into custody and evaluated. Meanwhile, Idaho Falls Police... All right, so what's interesting here is that nobody knows who this priest is. But yet the church dismissed him and wanted him taken into custody so they could control something that they believe to be a holy site. Apparently this priest gained such a following with his message that the church knew with him in play, there would be no way that they could control the narrative. Jewel also told me that the Holy Rosary Church was so obsessed with what was going on at the house that they wanted police to have everybody leave. 
Now, keep in mind, there was over a thousand people in this small, tiny neighborhood. I mean, this is on a one-way street. Place was crowded. The best they could do was manage it. Getting everybody to leave would have caused a massive riot. And the police, they didn't have the manpower to go up against that. They barely had enough manpower to manage the scene as it was. We go live right now to WVVX's Jewel St. Vincent, who is live at the old Harrington house, where a series of bizarre religious events that seem to mimic the original Holy Week are occurring. Jewel, what's happening right now? Well, Steve, many here tell me they have taken part in what they are calling the Second Last Supper to honor the Second Coming of Jesus Christ. The priest who appeared shortly after the fig tree is telling people they must eat from the tree to protect their soul. Witnesses tell me those that have eaten the fruit appear to hallucinate about demons asking them about a book. Meanwhile, please tell me... Alright, so Jewel told me that she spent most of the week out there at the house, and there was just kind of a weird vibe coming off the property and even the people that were there. It was almost like the people were in a daze, she said. Uh, they were very much coherent and aware of their surroundings, but they acted as if they didn't have control of their actions, like someone else was pulling the strings. And uh, we're going to talk about that book reference a little later. It is Good Friday, and this is WVVX's top story. A neighborhood is stunned this morning with the discovery of as many as 12 people found dead in an apparent mass poisoning. Details are sketchy at this point, but witnesses report several people lying on their backs with their arms out as if in a cross-type pose. Police will not confirm nor deny these reports, but say they are investigating and ask that anyone with information please contact Sergeant McDonald of the Idaho Falls Police All right, so the first 911 call to dispatch was at 6.33 a.m. Remember that time. That, that time is important. Jewel was able to get access to the backyard to take pictures and included them in the box that she gave me. But she was very, very clear that while I can use the photos to help with my investigation, I cannot under any circumstances publish them. So I'm going to honor that request. And I know that you guys want to see them, but the best I can do is close your eyes. And imagine 12 bodies spaced around the trunk of a tree. Each body was presented the same, face up, feet pointing at the trunk, and the heads radiating outward away from the tree. Sort of like a wagon wheel. The left foot sat on top of the right with a puncture hole going through both and blood streaks flowing down the feet to the ground. The arms were straight out with each palm facing up, and each palm also had a puncture wound with blood dripping from it. Each head was slightly cocked to the left, eyes open with blood dripping around the top of the forehead. The bodies were also grouped together, one group of six and two groups of three. Scattered around the bodies were the figs that had fallen from the tree, and Jewel told me the thing that she will never ever forget about that scene and that day was the putrid stench of rotting flesh and fruit, which was odd since neither the bodies nor the fruit had begun to rot yet. And that aligns with the coroner's preliminary post-mortem report. Now, I'm not going to read it because it's it's just full of medical jargon, 
But I'm going to give you some of the highlights here. The bodies all had the same wounds, the hands and feet, a puncture wound about the size of a railroad nail. In all the bodies, lividity did not occur and the wounds continued to bleed. None of the bodies suffered rigor mortis. None of the bodies displayed the usual signs of death, except there was no blood circulation and no breathing. No immediate cause of death was apparent, although poisoning is suspected, but toxicology reports are not back yet. So you're probably wondering how 12 bodies could end up like this with police on scene. And if police were on scene, why was everybody calling 911 for help? Well, that brings us to the officer logs. Jewel told me staffing was an issue. Now, the IFPD, Idaho Falls Police Department, is a very small department, especially back then in 1978. And covering both the house and regular patrol duties was very difficult. So they only staffed two officers on scene during the day and one officer at night. So this is what the logs show. Officer Harker and Officer Fett were on the day shift. They both typically logged in around 0755 and logged out at 1800, once relieved by Officer Thindra, who manned the site from 1800 until 0800 the next morning. The logs showed the usual altercations, media interactions, the occasional 1050, which is code for traffic accident, apparently from all the looky-loos driving by. Um, so, you know, basically the logs are exactly pretty much what you would expect until Friday morning. Officer Thindra made an entry at 0628 that simply said, left scene to respond to the 1033 on Water Street. 1033 is the code for emergency, and the IFPD uses it for officer needs help, all units respond. Now, I don't have anything about this other incident, but it was obviously enough to allow the only officer on scene at the death house to leave. Five minutes later, you guessed it, at 6.33 a.m., 911 calls started coming in about the dead bodies. It's the top of the hour, and this is WVBX News. I'm Jules St. Vincent. We're waiting for Detective Captain Darren Johnson of the Idaho Falls Police Department to update us on the bizarre deaths at a vacant home in Idaho Falls. We reported yesterday that, oh, oh, Captain Johnson's taking the podium. My name is Darren Johnson. I'm a detective captain with the Idaho Falls Police Department. Idaho Falls Police and the Bonneville County Sheriff's Department are currently investigating an incident at a home in the historic district of Idaho Falls. Twelve bodies have been found in the backyard in a pose resembling the crucifixion. Each of the victims also had puncture wounds to both hands and feet. We are currently awaiting toxicology reports to determine the cause of death. The victims have been identified, however, we aren't releasing the names at this time. We are currently looking for a man, about 55, dressed as a priest. Jewel told me that the priest was never located and pretty much just vanished after the bodies were found on Friday. He was described as a 55-year-old male with white hair dressed as a priest. Yep, pretty much describes every older priest. WVVX breaking news. Bodies of the victims from Friday's horrific poisoning incident in Idaho Falls have disappeared from the morgue. Idaho Falls Police Captain Darren Johnson says officers responded to an alarm call at the morgue 
around 1.50 a.m. to find all 12 bodies missing. He also said there was no evidence of forced entry and video surveillance. All right, I'm going to cut it off here because this is all bullshit. Here's the police radio audio from that morning. 8B17, do you show an alarm call at the morgue? 8B17 negative. 8B17, I'm 1023 here at the morgue. Front doors are open and an audible alarm is ringing. Send me another unit. 8B17 dispatch copies. Break. 8B24, respond with 8B17 to an audible alarm at the morgue. 0633. So basically the police lied about how this all went down. Officers didn't respond to an alarm call. A patrol car happened upon it. And they also lied about the time. It wasn't 2 a.m. It was actually 6.33 a.m. that the first unit arrived on scene. The second unit arrived three minutes later at 0636. They also lied about the surveillance footage. There wasn't a glitch in the tape. There was no tape in the recorder to begin with. So they had no recording of what happened. And this is all backed up in Officer Freeman's report. At 06.33, while on routine patrol, I passed the morgue and heard an audible alarm. I approached the front and noticed both doors open. I radioed dispatch and asked if they had an alarm call for the morgue, which they responded in the negative. I called for backup and searched the perimeter of the single-story structure for other signs of entry. Finding none, I walked to the front of the morgue, kept eyes on the front until backup arrived. When AB24 arrived, we both entered through the front door, doing a standard building search. On approach to coal storage, we noticed the door open and the interior lights were on. From our vantage point, we could see several drawers open and bodies missing. I called out identifying myself as police, asked that anyone in the room come out unarmed with their hands behind their head. After several minutes of repeating the demands and listening, I entered the room while AB24 followed behind. I took the left side of the room while AB24 took the right. Finding the room empty, AB24 went to the car to call for the commander and the forensics team and to tape off the area while I started the initial investigation. Twelve of the drawers were open with the bodies missing. The information on the drawers and clipboard matched the names of the victims from the Harrington House incident. I went to the front door to secure the surveillance videotape, but there was no tape in the recorder. At approximately 07.32, Detective Captain Johnson arrived and took control of the scene and told me to go back on patrol. I went back in service at 07.45. I asked Jewel if she thought the police were covering anything up, and she said only their incompetence. They were in over their head on this whole thing, but they didn't want to admit it. And this takes us to the information that was released. Jewel told me that the police were very, very careful on what they would release to the public. Apparently, the mayor got pissed off at how much information was released to the media by the PIO at the press conference. So pretty much from then on, it was just the old, oh, we can't comment on active investigations routine. Okay, so who are the dead? The IFPD wouldn't release the names, but Jewel told me that at the time, pretty much everybody knew everybody in Idaho Falls. And basically, to a certain extent, that still holds true today. And this is what uh, Jewel told me, and I quote, So even with the release, we all knew who the people were. Nobody reported on it out of respect for the families, but we all knew. But it wasn't privacy or because of the investigation that the PD didn't release the names. 
It was because that all the victims were male and were part of a local fishing club. They would meet every week and fish in the Snake River. And their first names were Peter, Andy, Jim, John, Philip, Thad, Bart, Jack, Matt, Simon, and Jude. End quote. Yes, I'm not shitting you. These guys had the same names of the original 12 apostles. Now, Jewel also revealed to me that in her report, when she mentions the hallucinations about the book, it was only these 12 that had those hallucinations. So why are 12 mysterious deaths in the backyard of a house in Idaho Falls important to our investigation? Well, first, the house is directly tied to the stories that I heard on tour. So Basically, anything that happens in this house is part of the investigation. And if you believe the demon tapes, Agatha made a promise to a demon to end her suffering. And her death began a series of deaths in that house over the next decade, including the 12 that we have here. And that brings us to the book. These 12 people, before their death and subsequent disappearance, had hallucinations about a demon asking them about a book. So, we have both a book and a demon mentioned in this hallucination, if it in fact was a hallucination. And this tells me that this could be the same book that we're searching for. And if it is, what's the connection of the book to these 12 men? Are they the ones who maybe ghost wrote it on Sarath's behalf? And if we go the other way, and it's not the book we're looking for, does that mean that there's another demonic book out there somewhere? And are these two books parts of the same story? And finally, everybody is calling this Holy Week, calling this thing the Holy Week incident. But while it does have similarities to the original Holy Week, I can't get past the contradictions. Like, This fig tree bears fruit. The apostles die with signs as though they were on a cross and they resurrect three days later. The priest's warning tells of an evil coming to take their souls. And the way the bodies were laid in that 633 pattern we've seen throughout this investigation, and I'm not quite sure what that that number means yet, but nothing about any of this sounds holy to me. In fact, it has a sinister vibe about it, and it's it's almost a statement that says, if evil was in charge back then, things would have ended differently. And maybe that that end is coming, which maybe gives some validity to what our preacher friend has been saying this whole time. But I also think that these events could be clues to what might be in those pages of the book, And that maybe the priest's warning could be prophecy of what's to come. And if I'm right, we can use all of this to find the book or books. Well, that's it for tonight. Next week, we go back to the night of December 24th, 1977. Wally Fitch out. Hey, it's me, Sutton. If you like the Walk in Darkness podcast, please support our investigation by going to awalkindarkness.com. Expenses add up and every little bit helps us follow leads in the investigation. And don't forget, in between episodes, the story continues on Instagram. 
Follow A Walk in Darkness for the big picture. Thank you for listening and for your support.